Geek Brightcast on this Sunday evening. Uh, with me tonight, uh, we have another guest, um, but we will start off with our usual faces. Uh, we have Peter Ray Allison. Good evening. Christina. Hello, everyone. And our special guest tonight, uh, Tom Ward. Hi, guys. So, Tom, who are you? What do you do? <laughs> My name is Tom Ward. Um, I'm a comic book writer. Um, since about 2014, I've been releasing a self-published independent series called Merrick the Sensational Elephant Man, which um, now we're up to 11 single issues. Um, we've done a kind of spin-off prequel graphic novella. We've done, as far as I'm aware, the first ever crossover-ish comic on um, Kickstarter. We've done a first edition, collected edition paperback, and we're on Kickstarter now, and we've 250% funded our second paperback collection. So we are definitely one of the longer-running independent comics that kind of self-published and been mm-hmm. using crowdfunding. Um, yeah, pretty much one of, one of the longest-running ones out there. As you can see from from the background, that's where all his inventory goes. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, you definitely have to have the space for um, self-publishing or, uh, yeah, you kind of living in boxes. <laughs> <laughs> Why did you self-publish rather than going, like, forward to the traditional publishing route and getting a publisher and going? It basically, um, I kind of... I wanted to make a comic. My, my, that was my goal. Like I'd been in bands and I, I'd done that. I played gigs and we'd done some recordings and then that had all come to an end. And I was like, well, what else am I into? And what can I do that? I don't really have to rely on anyone else um, at first. And I was like, I really like comics. I think I could write a comic. So I kind of, you know, got my idea, formulated that, thought about how to do it, wrote the scripts. And then the next thing was, um, how, how do you make a comic? I, I certainly didn't know. I didn't have any kind of background in that kind of thing. I didn't have any connections. I didn't know anyone else who had done it. Um, and I saw some people um, on Kickstarter, basically. Um, I think it was before people in the UK could even use the service. I saw some Americans, and they were kickstarting stuff. And I just kind of had a browse through, and I saw some other people's projects, and I just thought, this looks great. I don't, I don't know how to go to a publisher and approach them and do that kind of thing, but I, I could definitely see myself doing this the way that these guys have. Um, so I kind of found an artist and we, and we talked about it and we thought, oh, we can definitely do this. I had the scripts ready, gave them to him. He checked out, liked it. He started doing the artwork and we finished the first issue because, like I say, that was the kind of goal. We, we were just fans of, of, comic, of comics and wanted to make our own. So we gave that out as a free download. Um, on the same day, we launched our first Kickstarter to fund the first four issues. And that was a success. And we just kind of gone from there. And it was just it felt like the natural way to do it rather than pitching things around and, and waiting for other people to say we could do this or, oh, woman and R and about it and waiting around. You, you could be, you know, months and months in limbo, if not like a year or something. So it was like, well, we can just do it. Why not? It's very, it's, very, it's very rock and roll. It's very punk to do the sort of self-published thing, you know, because it's like back in the back in the hardcore days, it was all about, especially well, especially with punk as well. It's uh, it was all about sort of kind of self-releasing your own music and stuff. So it's very similar to the sort of self-releasing the um, the, the the comic book. Totally, yeah. That, that's that's what I was always into, like punk rock and hardcore, and um, everyone just kind of putting their own gigs on, recording their own records, putting them out. And um, it, it was just the, the natural thing to do for me. It was like, I, cu- I couldn't see like Mar- like Marvel or DC or 
Dark Horse or Image or anyone else. Like, why would they care? Like, we've done nothing before. Um, there was no reason for them to even open your email, really. But if we just do it ourselves, no one can stop us, basically. Yeah, why not? Um, um, Kickstarter has become massive at the moment. I mean, it is huge. How did you kind of stand out from from the crowd and make sure that you were funded? I think initially, um, the first one really was by the skin of our teeth. Um, we we kind of were quite ambitious rather than just funding the print printing of the first issue that we finished. We actually tried to do the, f- the first full story arc. So we were actually funding multiple issues which i don't think i've seen kind of people really do other than us and it was more like a subscription thing so we were people were backing us and then like a year a year and a half later they were still getting issues through the door because we, we were posting out as as they were released um so yeah uh we, we really kind of did everything we could luke parker the artist he was doing sketches and original art um, as, as pledge rewards to kind of bump things up. We were doing giving away, giveaways, that kind of thing. But I think ultimately we we were probably one of the first kind of UK kind of set of creators to, to really do it. So I think that stood out as well. And a lot of other people have said to me that they saw what we were doing and that, and that kind of thought, oh, I can do this. And, you know, it, it kind of stood out that way, I think, as well. It's become, there's quite a lot of independent sort of uh, comic book creators who use Kickstarter as their sort of, their base now. It, it, there's there's lots and, there, you know, some really, we've had a few on 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 the show. So um, obviously Kickstarter is a, a godsend for um, self-publishers like yourself. Well, I'm sure you've seen, like, it, it's, it's kind of not just self-publishers anymore. Um, obviously, like, Boom Studios did the Power Rangers hardcover on kickstarter um you've got uh duncan duncan jones is it mm. duncan jones did the, the maddie campaign um you've got keanu reeves on there yes yeah. um and uh, you know uh, scott snyder um skybound have, have done projects so it, it is quite interesting the way it's kind of gone from kind of unknowns doing their first release to, to literally like not even the top of the comic industry like keanu reeves has got to be you know up there at the top of any industry and he's going to kickstarter to do his book rather than just using the traditional publishing models there's a lot more control sorry sorry christina you carry away yeah I, i was just saying that i don't think it's that fair i mean if you're super famous and you already have a lot of money which a lot of famous people do have to, to come to Kickstarter, I think it kind of steals from, I don't know, the spotlight from people who actually do need the help financially to, yeah. to fund their own projects. And I, I get a little annoyed, you know, like, oh, we need the money to fund a special episode of, I don't know, Gilmore Girls, but you don't, you have the yeah. money. <laughs> I, I, I totally agree. Um, I, I don't mind so much when big names kind of come on to do comics when it, it's uh, like a you know, a personal independent thing and it is them just putting the book out. But when it is publishers or books that are going to go straight to publishers, they really are kind of, um, they kind of, kind of hogging the stage. They've, they've got all the space on the shelf in the shops, which we don't have access to, but then they're taking over the, you know, the top picks, the staff picks, they're getting featured in the Kickstarter mail outs. So yeah, I can, I can definitely see why people get annoyed with it because if you are a, a big corporation, um, for you to make money, you should be spending money to kind of to kind of push it, not find ways around it because they're screwing over the shops as well. Like 
if they're not selling those books through local comic book stores, like local comic book stores are missing out on some of the biggest sellers. Um, so it's definitely unfair on, on, you know, a few different levels without sounding like I'm complaining about it too much. <laughs> you know, it's within your right, I think. <laughs> I mean, I don't feel like giving Keanu Reeves money. I mean, I love Keanu Reeves, but I think he has enough to spare. Yeah, absolutely. But he's he's so good, though, because he's one of those famous people who is, like, super nice and charitable. Um, you know, know. We, we've no, all we've, we've all heard the you know the, the the stories that like I think in the Matrix he gave like half of his pay, paycheck to charity, and um, you know there's other things where he literally he gives money away left right center. He's got like charities all over the show, um, so he's he, he he obviously makes a lot of money but doesn't need all of it. So he's happy enough just to sort of kind of give excess away to people. So. You know, I think with Kenner Reeves, he's sort of on that line of, you know, yeah. His publishers should know better, though, shouldn't they? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Very true. Very true. But the thing is, with, with Kickstarter, I don't, I don't think there's, a, I don't think there's competition in a way because there's so much of it and it's literally down to interest. So it's not like you have to spend too much money on publicizing and stuff. It's literally just uh, people go on there and is their interest. Like I go on there and like I'm a massive board game guy. So I have all kinds of Kickstarter board games. I've got about 55 backed um backed sort of board games and stuff on kickstarter huge numbers of the board games down there yeah like, like massive insane. numbers like like you know millions and stuff you know and, and i'm the sucker who has to have all of it you know so you know i don't go for the base game i go for the base <laughs> game and the expansions and all the other sort of gubbins that comes with oh pretty miniatures i must have pretty miniatures and stuff so it's like I, you know but the thing is there's so many of them and some people will ne- never have heard them but it's just like that looks cool I'll have that. And it's not because it's promoted. The, the, the odd time there's a Facebook advert because it comes my way because Facebook knows me and knows that I like board games. So that'll come up. But it's generally, I'll go on and I'll see something and go, that's freaking cool. And then I'll back it and stuff. So it it's sort of, it, it, I think it levels the playing field slightly because um, you can't just sort of kind of pump out loads of stuff uh, in it because you know you don't have to spend you don't have to spend any money it's just an idea as long as you've got a camera you've got um some editing software to sort of put a video together and you know a bit of money maybe to put on facebook then you're, you're golden aren't you yeah there absolutely is like a really good community of people especially in comics um who are just browsing kickstarter to see what what's new uh, and see because comics is so diverse like they can literally be about anything so there really is something for, for everyone and the more niche kind of thing you're in the more likely it's not going to be kind of covered by the mainstream so kickstarter is ideal for that so if you're really in, into like a like a deep dive genre thing or or whatever like chances are you're going to find someone else who's into it, who's made a book and that is great that people literally i on most of our campaigns, I'd say about half of them are just of people who just kind of have been browsing around, took a look at the projects or the sample pages, maybe downloaded the free issue and, and then took a chance on us, which is great because most of them come back. Um, so yeah, we couldn't ask for anything better than that. And uh, yeah, like you were saying about just having simple video editing and stuff like I don't even do that. I tell people, I just record a quick video on my phone, just like one take, just to, to kind of try and connect with people 
at, on a basic level to show that I'm, you know, a real genuine person. Um, and, you know, a couple of pages of sample art is all you really need and you can get started. So it really is open to everyone, which I really like about it. Do you find that um, the sort of kind of, the sort of niche comic book um, uh, space is quite similar to the sort of niche hardcore slash metal space where you've got a lot of people who kind of they don't want the mainstream stuff they don't want the stuff that sort of everybody's into they want something that's their own something a bit more personal oh yeah absolutely um it's, it's exactly like you say it's exactly the same thing it's, it's like like marvel and dc are great and and you know the, the classic superheroes and stuff but it's the same as listening to the radio or you know going to the big kind of major record label kind of music events and then there's obviously just cool stuff going on everywhere else that's just not covered um and you, you do get like a you get more of a kind of you know, access to creators like people are more likely to reply to your tweets or, or get to know you see you at the conventions because you're doing as many events as possible and um you you can definitely you know build up like your own little kind of scene mm. um and, and it, like you say, it's, it's not in competition with like the big guys. You see some people like that on on Facebook and like I'm starting my own comic book company and we're going to rival Marvel and DC. And it's like, no, you're not. <laughs> you're not. It's impossible. Like with all the money in the world, you could never do it. Um, but you could do your own thing. Like you don't have to be in competition with them. Like it, it's about the difference between like breaking into comics and, and just being over here doing your own thing in comics. I think is the best way I think about it. Like I had the thing when uh when it came to, when music, especially when I was younger, like when I first came to Manchester, um, and I was like into um like Belgian hardcore and stuff, so it was always about sort of um good um good oh fuck what's it called? Uh what was the Belgian label called? Um that uh, Archangel and stuff were if on. It's not chocolate, we don't know. Oh, fuck. What are they called? Uh, good Life. Good Life. Good Life Records. Um, and so, like, Poison the Well started there, and like, like there was Archangel and all this, like, uh, and um, like there's loads of sort of really niche hardcore bands. And I literally wouldn't buy anything unless it was sort of kind of Belgian hardcore, sort of from that sort of thing. You know, Kill Switch and Kill Switch and Gage, I was into them, like, before they were, like, massive. Like, I had their first album when Ferret Records. And like I was just like I'm all into bands that people don't know about, so I can brag about this cool band that I know, and it's just me. <laughs> and you know when you, you like like Poison the Well, I love Poison the Well even to this day. And I remember sort of uh, messaging them, and they got right back to me, and it was cool because they like you said you had somebody who was going to actually interact with you, unlike if you, you know a massive band who's not going to do that. So for me, it was always like, yeah, I'm into all of these bands, and it's like, yeah, that band, I'm not, you know, fine. They're all right, but they're not this Belgian hardcore band that I love and stuff. <laughs> it's weird that you're talking about Belgium because, like, me and my mates, we do go to like some festival. We go to festivals in Belgium. Yeah, there's some good we're hardcore festivals in Belgium. This, yeah. this, this really small one called Brack Rock, which is like punk and hardcore. And um, it's insane. It just takes over this tiny, tiny town. No one who lives there knows what's going on for like a weekend. Um, there's kids from all over the world. Like you, you're talking to like a Japanese guy who just likes the same music as you. You're talking to like Americans, Australians, everyone from every country in Europe. Like it's just basically in a park. All the bands are just walking around. It's just such. So is the, is that the exact kind of thing that it's great to kind of foster, where everyone's kind of into the same thing. And I kind of just all on the same level rather than having, you know, superstars that are kind of out of reach and making it feel like 
they've got something that everyone else doesn't have. Like it, it's not possible to be a creator because you have to be special. I, I, I really like when it's people like these people aren't special. They're just like you. You can do it as well. And um, I, I just really like that vibe a lot more. The thing is, you do with the, especially the hardcore thing um, was very personal. Um, you know, you, all the hardcore gigs you would go to, uh, just it, fe- it felt so much. It felt different. Like I love like bands like the Deftones. Deftones I've been into forever. I love them and stuff. But you're never going to see them in a small venue. The smallest venue I've ever seen the Deftones in was the Limelight, and that was like in Belfast, and that was wh- that was from when Adrenaline came out. That was like you know one of their first yeah. albums so it was just like a long time ago um you know and they were quite small but you know when big bands especially like kill such engage i never got to see them before they um became big and stuff so and everything they just played massive venues so you're, you don't get that sort of kind of intimate thing but i've seen a lot of really really good bands with all the best memories coming from small shows uh mm-hmm. where you can kind of you can interact them interact with them like uh the um Oh God, we had like some of the old dares with like knuckle dust and stuff like that, and uh, you know some of those really like old school sort of hardcore bands and stuff. You yeah, just like no barrier to the crowd, and, like yeah. some kid jumping on your head. Yeah. <laughs> you know people are yeah, picking that, up penny, picking great. up pennies, and flicking their arms around and stuff. And you're just like, granted, I'm too old for that bullshit now. So like, if somebody <laughs> throws a, throws a fist at me, they get a fist thrown back at them. But it's just like you know. Um, you know, I used to love that stuff. I was all like, I saw Biohazard, God knows how many times. I remember my first gig in Manchester was a Biohazard gig, and I just crowd surfed the entire time. And I literally spent most of my time on the stage and then off the stage and just flying around. I loved it. It was amazing. Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> um, have you ever been to comic festivals in Europe? You mentioned like no. Um, Europe, I have done um, Nether- Netherlands Comic Con. I think that's what it's called. No, it's called Dutch Dutch Comic Con. Um, and that is in... Oh, where is it? Um, let me have a quick Google. Yeah, I've done that twice. Um, that's that's huge. That's kind of, a, I'd say, on par with um, kind of London MCM. Maybe okay. even potentially a bit bigger. Probably probably a bit bigger. Um, and that had some huge guests. Um, Joe Hill was there one of the years when I was, which was good. Um, didn't sell many comics, unfortunately, um, but there was no cue to get Joe Hill to sign some copies of Lock and Key, so I guess he wasn't doing too great either. Um, but it, you know, the, the kind of other side of Comic Cons, like the media guests and you know the video game stuff, like that. Obviously, that was huge. It's in a, a huge kind of um, convention center. But that was good. I really wanted to get and do some kind of you know, German ones, maybe Berlin. And uh, I, I looked into some kind of Polish and Czech Republic ones, but um, obviously with Brexit and stuff happening, um, yeah, I, I don't know what the kind of, you know, you'd have to look into it more now, whether you could go over and sell books or... Does that affect could... sales and Kickstarter? Because I know one, you know, I, you know, I'm, I am very, very ardently anti-brexit and have been since since day one um and so i've like i I, i've pontificated about this and i I don't care what people think i literally you know it's the worst thing that's ever happened to this country whatever but anyway different different strokes for different folks we'll not go into that but do you feel do you see that it sort of had an effect on your like shipping and stuff because i know through all the board games and stuff especially ones that i bought last year and now because of brexit 
it's affected them. I have to pay more for shipping and I have to pay extras on top of things because there's there's import charges and stuff, which is really... And it's delayed things. Everything coming from China and stuff. Yeah. Now, there's lots of delays. I think it's it's hard to tell the full extent at the minute because you have to be fair and um, you have to do you do have to take the pandemic into into account. Um, so so when stuff's getting delayed, it, it is really hard to tell what's that what that's down to. Um, we put our last issue out, issue eleven, um, kind of beginning of December. So I really was racing against time to kind of get everything fulfilled, especially the European parcels before the 31st of December, obviously. Um, prices have gone up since then, but, you know, they, they are constantly going up all the time. And I've heard people now saying about things getting turned around at certain countries, depending on what Korea's views and stuff, which is obviously a nightmare. Um, and it's going to need more work and more stuff looking into. But the biggest change um, initially from, from my experience was having to put a custom slip on every single European parcel. Now, previously, I only had to do that for, um, you know, further afield, like the kind of American orders, Australia, um, stuff outside the EU, and you, you could just put the name and address and send them out. But, um, yeah, having to hand fill out hundreds and hundreds of custom slips for every parcel um, is a real, a real time sink manpower-wise and just, just really frustrating um, I, I, I don't think there's any way I can automate it or run them through a printer or anything like that. So it is literally a case of sitting there with the TV on or some music on and just spending a couple of hours filling in import slips uh, or export slips. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to have to do more work looking into it for our, our current one to go out. Um, and I'll do whatever it takes to make sure that everything's OK, but it is going to be extra work. Um, it's just it's just a, a ridiculous thing to take part in. I don't know. Like you say, you don't want to get into it, but like, why would that, why would anyone want this? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's it's one of those things. We're we're a um, we're not a nerd podcast, but certain things we we find ourselves sort of delving into is generally Donald Trump, which gladly he's fucked off, so that's good, and um, <laughs> and uh, obviously Brexit. But you know, what are you going to do? It's it's just the way it is. Um, you just got to deal with it. Fucking move on. Yeah, it's the world we live in, and you just got to kind of do your best to move your way through, haven't you? Yeah, that's it and stuff. You know, it's just like you know, shit happens. <laughs> it's not it's not great, but there you got to deal with it the best you can, uh, and try and make the best of it and stuff. So yeah. So um, just one thing I was actually just I was thinking of just before you sort of kind of we went on to that. It's like, do you find that um, does it annoy you that comic cons are more about games and pop figures and stuff and less about comics um to, to a point um a little bit I'd, I'd kind of prefer it if they weren't called comic cons if there's like a very minor kind of focus on comics like if it's kind of an overall thing i'm you know whatever um, but I've done events where I'm literally like the only person selling comics. And it's like, just call it something else. Call it a sci-fi convention. Call it a fantasy convention. Call it a shit convention. Like, whatever. Like, um, j- just be a bit more honest about it. I think there's, obviously, the Marvel films have been huge and, and the TV shows. And it's it's such a massive thing now that, like, I think going to Comic-Con and selling Comic-Con is more more important to a lot of people than the kind of content if that makes sense. Um, but yeah, I, I'm 
I'm pretty bent out on conventions <laughs> the best of times. Um, even the ones that are pure comics um, at the minute, I'm kind of uh, just like, I might have a year off. Like, well, I've had a year and a half off now. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm not really in a mega rush to go back. Yeah. Um, a lot of stuff I feel can just be done online now. So like I, I can interact with people through Twitter, through other social media. I can sell books. I can, I can do Kickstarters. There's not too much that I need to do other than kind of it's nice to see other creators and my friends and, and spend time with human beings, which none of us have done in a while now. So like that would be nice to go for a pint or just hang out. Um, but all the other stuff, um, to pay a couple of hundred pounds plus for a table, plus traveling, plus a hotel, plus, you know, your time for like 48 hours, 72 hours. Like I can do a lot of that stuff at home more efficiently. Mm -hmm. So I, I'm really trying to kind of get the efficiency angle down at the minute and, and kind of just streamline things to, to make it work as easy as possible, basically. Yeah, I, I've i always sort of questioned, um, you know, I can understand bigger comic books. Uh, well, it depends. So uh, there's London Film and Comic-Con, uh, and that's generally quite heavily weighted towards sort of comics and stuff. Well, the ones I've been to anyway. Um, uh, MCM, uh, the bigger ones and things like that, they're very much a case of comic books or sort of have their own little area and it's sort of kind of stuck off in the corner somewhere and yeah the comic book village yeah, yeah and it's not and it's like for me it's like i wander around the whole thing and uh i go into the comic book village and you get the sort of there'll be people who are there and they'll either know the guys who, you know they'll know the guys uh who, who, who who've got the comics um or they're um you know lost lost <laughs> but you, you don't very often get people sort of kind of going in that direction intentionally and stuff and i feel like it's you know for people who are trying to make a living out of it and trying to promote stuff i don't know what benefit comes of it and stuff like i have a few friends who sort of uh, do create their own comic books and stuff and they've done that um but from my experience i'm just like it's not that busy. You get the odd person there in the game, which, you know, it's great because you do get to interact with somebody, but for yourself as a business, I'm not sure what yeah. that does for you. Because like you said, you could probably do a lot more in the same time period um, on Twitter, online, uh, promoting stuff, whereas sitting there, you know, getting upset or getting quite annoyed because, there's, you know, there's nobody really around uh, to see you uh, must be quite disconcerting, basically. I think it, it it comes down to as well like it's um like people look at the numbers and they're like there's x amount of people at mcm and um, if i only sell a book or talk to you know one percent um then you know i'll make x amount but like the realities of it is you're probably not even going to talk to one percent of the people that are there yeah exactly um, that's it yeah and, and, I... and um it's so hard to recoup your costs um, especially when you're starting out, if you're if you've got one single comic book that you worked really hard, you spent a year making this book, you've put your heart and soul into it, you're selling it for a fiver. Like you're gonna have to sell what you're gonna sell after about forty to even break even on your table before you talk about your travel, your time, um, and that's a lot. That's a lot of comics to sell at a convention. It really is. Um, we didn't start to break even until we kind of did our first kind of paperback which sells a lot easier and um, has, has a bigger markup basically on, on print costs to make it worthwhile. Um, so 
you do need to kind of do these things when you're starting out to kind of build a bit of a network and, and get to know people and see people. But I think the main problem is, like you say, the people who are going into Comics Village are the same people. Um, and so you, you once you kind of you meet those people, there's, there's really not that many new people to go to. You see the same people after event, event after event, which is great because they're great people. It's great to hang out and talk. But um, to kind of promote a book or, or to make comics bigger to a bigger audience, it's just not happening. Um, I think there needs to be more like free, free entry events is what I think needs to be done. Because if, you, if you're charging people... Like, what's a ticket to MCM? Is it like 15 quid, 20 quid? Oh, man, it's more than that, I think. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's more than that. quid. Yeah. That's a lot, especially, you know, teenagers, kids, early early 20s, you know, kind of got a bit, you know, not got a great job, not got a lot of expendable income. To have to, have to pay to, that much money to go in to look at what you can buy, it's kind of crazy to me. I'm trying to uh, see how much they how much they are at the minute. Uh, obviously, they're they're not going. All right, okay. So entry uh, between seventeen and sixty nine quid. Uh, no, I you know don't get me wrong. Um, I I I loved MCM and stuff, but my sort of experience for MCM was not the convention really. It was the sort of kind of meeting the people getting horrendously drunk and maybe, you know, Geek Pride getting an interview with some people now and again, you know, so I spent a lot of time not even in the convention center and stuff. So it's just, you know, for me, it was just an experience. So, um, you know, and a lot of people do, you know, it's literally just a case of dressing up in cosplay, wandering around, buying things. You know, when I do spend my time in there, it's just wandering around, buying stuff, you know, and... Um, yeah, I think, I think a lot of people just, just enjoy the experience of it. Yeah. That that's what they go for, um, and then you got the other you got the other conventions. You got like Thor Bubble, which is like all comics. Yes, that's great. Love Thor Bubble. Um, it, it, it's so big, especially when it, it's kind of moved now. I haven't been to the new location. Um, I really liked it when it's the armories and leads, and then there's the lakes. And why I do really like about the lakes is that it is free entry to the comics clock tower so you, you anyone can go in and you do get people who wouldn't normally do that kind of thing it's mainly kind of middle-aged hikers trying to get out of the rain in kendall but, <laughs> you know it is it is new people and um i think it is good to, to kind of get new people interested in things because literally there are comics about everything like doesn't matter who you are what age you are what you're into there'll, there'll be something for you so it's better to get that across the people, I think, and then have the panels and the, the separate events as, you know, ticketed events to kind of raise funds and, um, you know, make sure there's, it's not over, kind of, there's not too many people trying to go to too many events. Um, but I think the key is to get, like, new people, get free entry to see what people are doing, really. Yeah. Yeah. And- Speaking of uh, of the people that you're trying to reach, who were you trying to reach with your with your comic? I mean, I saw the description that if if you like this and if you like that, you know, this is the comic book for you. But is it a specific group that you're trying to reach, or? Um, honestly, it, it, it it's it's a hard one to nail down for us. Um, kind of, I guess, kind of anyone who likes anything kind of pulpy, but we do we do have kind of a a Bronze Age superhero vibe. Um, we have like a, a horror element, kind of, you know, we do some kind of Lovecrafty kind of stuff. We do some like kind of Golden Age superhero kind of stuff. We, we do some pulp adventure. Like 
the aesthetic appeals to I guess like steampunk fans because although it is not steampunk and it's not the cogs and and the technology and stuff there is the kind of Victorian aesthetic um it we we do have some swear words and stuff so it's probably not for kids but I read it when I was a kid I'd probably love it because kids love stuff that they're not supposed to read (laughs) Um, so it's it's kind of you know it's not super adult but it's quite adult but it's kind of I, th- I think I think most people could enjoy it. Um, we we get a lot of uh, similarities to Hellboy because Luke's art is very Mike Mignola. I think if if you like Hellboy, I think you'll enjoy it. But I also think it won't be as similar as you you, you may expect. I think you'll, you'll take something out else away from it. Um, but yeah, we we're kind of a um, we're, we're very independent, but it is kind of got like a mainstream appeal as well, even though that's not. Something we're actively we're not actively trying to you know we're not actively trying to sell something to to the masses we're not trying to try to objectively be popular and, and and we're not working out what is popular and trying to copy that or, or go down those mm-hmm. paths but um w- yeah it's definitely like i think people have described it like that before like like an in an indie book with mainstream appeal is kind of um how it's been described <laughs> five years from now and they're super they're super massive comic book company and he's like i want my face blurred (laughs) (laughs) Uh, um Uh, how do you find like um the reception of the comic book compared to the uk and europe um so we've got through kickstart we have people all over the world really and like i said we did dutch comic-con didn't really sell many books um but I don't think many, anyone was selling many books at that event because of how that event was. Um, I think the UK has got really, like I genuinely think the UK is a really strong um, kind of independent comic scene at the minute. Um, and I'm genuinely surprised there's people out there that haven't been kind of picked up for like a, a second, like British invasion, you know, like they were in the, uh, what was it, like late 80s, early 90s? Yeah, early 90s. Yeah, Alan Moore and Neil Gaines picked up to Grant Morrison yeah all those guys getting picked up to kind of do a fresh voice on kind of the the, you know the US books I'm I'm generally surprised people haven't been picked up for that more at the minute because there are a lot of people doing really kind of cool things and stuff that's different and they're kind of not really fizzling out like people used to kind of do one issue two issues and fizzle out and now we've got people kind of consistently putting more and more books out like finishing mini mini series being more ambitious doing graphic novels and i think um the crowdfunding makes that possible where it, it wasn't before you either had to draw and write the book yourself or you know go really heavy on credit cards or have a have a great job and just have money to burn um so yeah i think the uk is has really put out great stuff at the minute um but yeah people all over do seem to like it um some of our biggest backers lots of original art goes to like france um there's quite a few polish backers um it it goes all over the world it really is quite exceptional when you go to the post office and you see you sending i think i sent a book to thailand i wasn't expecting to do that um obviously america is still probably the, the number one consumers i'd say um of this kind of thing um but yeah it, it it's, it's great all over the world basically um fairly fairly evenly spread i'd say is there any any places that just don't do not like like do you get reviews and stuff do, is there any countries that just like yeah we don't like this this isn't our thing <laughs> um, 
No, the reviews have all been good. I don't, I don't think I've ever kind of, I never really thought about reviews by country. Um, so yeah, I, I couldn't say. But we, so like my band, right? So we had an album, like we've been going for like 20 years now, but we like, we had an album in 2011 and um, we sent it out for, because it's, it's a fucking good album. And we sent it out to be reviewed and stuff. So we sent it all over the world. We were getting great reviews in America, great reviews in Holland, the UK, um, you know, Australia, you know, everywhere was loving us. Germany fucking hated us. <laughs> like, fucking hated us. I don't think we got anything better than a six. And it was just like, I we couldn't understand why, like, they just had this thing against us. Like, everywhere else around the world, France, you know, we were going to go on tour to France and, you know, it was great. But for some reason, Germany were just like, no. We do not like this at all. Nice. It's like we were wondering if it might be because the the album cover was like it was red and it had like a black eagle and stuff on it, and it was just we're not sure if it had some sort of some symbolic sort of kind of historic resonance with them that they didn't appreciate or something. But yeah, they they did did not like that in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> I, I like that you're not sure that was the the reason. <laughs> it's it's definitely not the music, uh, Christina, because it was awesome. No, no. It was, it was the eagle and the red background and everything. Like, yeah, no. it was. Well, it's not an eagle. It's it's technically, if you look at the sort of um, would it have been the old sort of kind of Prussian sort of uh bird or in sort of the, a lot of the old sort of kind of kingdoms like in the the czarist czarist Russia had one, the Prussians had one and stuff. Sort of like it's yeah. it's kind of like one of those sort of birds. Um, we no, didn't think we no. didn't think anything of it to be honest. We just sort of you know. Yes. The thing is, it's like with people, you know, everybody says, oh, you should care about the soul. But the first thing you see about a person, it's their appearance, you know, whether they're nice, they're clean, they're clean shaven and things like that. You don't see their soul. So on your album, the first thing they saw was that. Yeah. So it didn't matter the history behind it. Yeah, I don't think it helps that our band's called Skin the Pig either. So, uh, <laughs> so it just sort of nope, it, it goes. You know, we're not as we're not as bad as the signs. It's just like it's just a name. But yeah, there you go. <laughs> Can't win them all. Can't win them all. That that the thing is, I, I, I you know, don't care now. But you know, mm -hmm, sure you don't. <laughs> <laughs> you cut to the heart of me, Christina. <laughs> I am sorry, ghost can a pig or something. <laughs> She's so blunt. Eastern okay. Europeans. Oh, it's wow. True. You are blunt. You know, do you know what? I called my girlfriend's Polish, yeah? And I said she was blunt. Because, you know, there's, there's a whole thing about Polish honesty. They literally just tell you how it is. There's no sugar coating. There's no sort of, you know, uh, it's okay. It's literally, this is it. That shit. I don't like that. I don't enjoy this. There's no sort of like, yeah, but it's it's good. But, or, you know, like you get in the UK. And I said, you're really blunt. And she took offense. And I was just like, but you are blunt. Matt, <laughs> we need to talk about this thing called diplomacy well that's the thing is there, were, there was no diplomacy coming in that direction and i was like but that's what bluntness <laughs> is surely if you're just saying it without any sort of kind of i don't mind it to be honest i'm, I'm used to it now and i, and I kind of <laughs> prefer people who are just sort of straight up you know that's why i like christina so much because she's just she doesn't suffer fools she literally just says how it is <laughs> so but yeah anyway christina carry on you, you, right, you, you made me lose my train of thought. No, yeah. <laughs> I was uh, going to talk a, a bit about the fact that you actually have right now, you mentioned that at some point you had the first four issues available for free download, and right now you still have issue one. Yeah, right? issue one. Because that's the one I got to read. 
Issue one's free download, yeah, on our website, www.americaco.uk. I can send you guys some review copies if you want. Just just send me a message on Twitter. Or I'll, I'll send it to the Twitter page. Awesome. Um, so, yeah, the first four, we've collected it in a paperback. Um, and we are funding the next five issues in a second paperback. So that's issues five, six, the special crossover issue, and then seven and eight. So that's two full story arcs and the crossover issue. Um, we've done a few more single issues after that, but we'll kind of collect them into a third book when we've got a, f- a bit more out. And um, we've got a couple more stories under our belt and, and sold more single issues as well. How how many of them, how many of you are there? You say we, how many of you are so there? So I, I write it. Um, I like called Luke Parker from Nottingham does the artwork. So he does all the artwork. So he does the pencils, the inks and the colours. Um and um, Micah Myers is an American um, professional letterer who does the lettering for us now. Um, so there's basically a solid team of three. Um, my girlfriend Claire Lenton is our editor as well. So she's got a um, she's got a master's in like gothic literature, that kind of thing. So again, like that kind of feeds right in with what we're doing. Um, and she'll make sure I've dotted my eyes and crossed my T's and does a very good job of that. <laughs> I just went just through the first issue and I have to say to everyone that plans to read it uh, get your wallet ready because you will want to see what happens next because I do and it's both cool and annoying <laughs> but no it's uh, it's really it, it really catches your attention especially if you're a, a little bit familiar with the real Joseph Merrick I hope I said the name the name right because I've only seen it in print. He's always. The, he's the elephant man, isn't he, Merrick? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I know, I know who he is. Yeah, but, uh, I, I wasn't sure. It, I thought. Yeah. yeah, no, no, I know who he is. I just I never heard his name said. <laughs> I only read it, uh, but I think the original story, his real life story, is really touching. So how? Uh, and he's he's he was such a genuinely nice guy. How did he come to be your your character of choice? So like why not pick someone else? I don't know. Yeah, of course. Um, so I, I was just kind of in work, bored, just, you know, killing time in my own head, as a lot of us obviously do in work. Um, and I was just kind of thinking about comics. And I, I had this idea that I wanted to make a comic. And I was just thinking in general, just, just about comics. And I was just thinking how it was funny that there's, you know, Batman, Hawkman, Ant-Man, mm-hmm. You know, it's like every animal and then man to the point where it, it's it's kind of just felt like people were just like, whatever, just try this, try that. And um, I was just thinking, oh, Elephant Man, is that is that a, a comic? Um, that'd be quite a good one. Like if you're thinking about kind of like animal powers, like having like tough tough skin like an elephant. Elephants are quite mm-hmm. big and strong, you know. Um, elephants never forget. So would this character kind of have like a photographic memory or something? And then I was like, hang on a second. Elephant Man is is an actual person like who existed, so I was like that. That's quite strange, um, but also quite interesting. And I kind of looked to see whether it googled to see if it had been done before, and it hadn't. And I was like, it seems like such an obvious idea that I couldn't understand how it hadn't been done before. And that's what a lot of people come up to me at conventions and say, go, oh, this is kind of so obvious, has it not been done before? And I was like, no, I'm genuinely as surprised as you, which I think is always kind of a good indicator of a good idea mm-hmm. but um as, as i did more research um I, and kind of read around the subject and you know i got um 
I've got like autobiography, uh, not autobiographies, I've got biographies and I've got the kind of stuff written by the doctor, Frederick Treves, um, and his reports and journals and stuff and just kind of got every bit of information I could kind of gather. The story kind of fell into place quite naturally. Um, like the doctor who, um, the doctor who looked after um, Joseph Merrick in the London Hospital, Dr. Frederick Treves, he was um, best friends with Thomas Hardy, who was the, you know, he's quite a famous writer and poet. Mm-hmm. And he was quite um, interested in kind of supernatural and, and ghosts and that kind of thing. Um, and then Frederick Treves was also a member of the same gentleman's club as Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, who wrote Sherlock Holmes. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was, you know, really big into spiritualism and, and seances and, and fairies and stuff like that. So the world kind of built itself around because that's the kind of kind of the vibe that I really like in, in fiction, kind of occult stuff and secrets and, and mystery and, and kind of, you know, what's going on, you don't know. And it kind of just, just went from there. Um, so like the first story of the first four issues is um, genuinely based around the, the true story of Joseph Merrick the Elephant Man. Obviously, we've kind of embellished it to make it more of a kind of pulp adventure but um he was you know the the house the the penny gaff they called it was the the building where it was like a like a a traveling freak show was based in london and they were chased out the country by the police and then they got a new manager who stole joseph's life savings and left him for dead in europe and then he made his way back to um london um he he you know was really tired and sick from his journey and ended up in the london hospital um so that that is all true but it's also the jumping off point for our kind of revenge pulp story um so a lot of the things in the first few issues they are real events you know real people real dates um there's some real quotes in there but we've just kind of fleshed the rest out um and it was just all stuff that i found really interesting basically that sounds actually really interesting sorry matt go ahead (laughs) no 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 i was just saying that that does sound really interesting like i'm a massive history guy so you know things based on history sort of work for me so yeah sorry what i was gonna say was uh about the fact that you mentioned that you don't understand how this was never thought about before but i think it's very simple because people like to look at pretty things and i think uh, people are afraid to actually make a leading character be non-conventionally pretty and yes, the elephant is not so i think that's were you, were you ever afraid that people won't i don't know attach themselves to, emotionally so to speak to the character or to the story um not no, i didn't really i don't think i actively thought about it that way um i did always kind of wanted to be like quite a trap because it is quite a tragic story in real life so I, I did kind of want to keep that tone um which made me think a lot about um you know the classic original runs on spider-man when it just felt like the writers were just out to ruin peter parker's life all the time um and <laughs> it just it just felt like how could we make peter parker's life worse so you, you'll notice in this comic like i, I just do kind of I make him go through horrible things and it's depressing and and kind of a bummer. But I think the fact that he is the elephant man and he's a tough guy and he gets through it all is kind of what, what makes people come back and hopefully kind of relatable because, you know, we all go through like tough stuff. 
and it, it, it's thinking about all the people who get through it kind of can push you can push you to get through whatever tough time you're having mm-hmm. so I yep. think that's kind of what I was thinking and do you have like uh I don't know an ending in mind as in do you know what will happen to the character um, not historically you know yeah. obviously he's dead but uh yeah absolutely from the start I had the full story kind of worked mm-hmm. out Um, I think it's really important when, when you start in a story to kind of, the, the most important thing to me is to, is the beginning and the ending. Um, so I always kind of knew where it's going and I still do. And I had certain kind of signpost things that I wanted to happen along the way. Um, and then as we've been kind of heading towards them, ideas have kind of shifted or changed or we've had more ideas so we can kind of add more stuff in or kind of refine it to make it better. But we, we're still on that kind of, overarch so there is always been a plan from the start to the end um and hopefully we'll get there basically um i I think maybe within maybe 30 40 issues i'd really be like to be one of those kind of classic long run kind of comic series like why the last man or um those kind of invincible those those kind of image books that, that have a, a definite arc and, and, and they're long running, but they're not like the Marvel or DC stuff where it just goes on forever. Mm-hmm. It's not. Yeah. The idea is that stuff will change and progress and, and characters will change and things will come and go. And there, there is like a genuine story progression. There was, How- um, sorry, Christina, you carry on. You carry on. It wasn't me. <laughs> oh, okay, sorry. Um, so there with some of the... Um, <laughs> Some of the... It was someone else, though. What? Thanks, Matt. All oh, right, sorry. <laughs> I was going to ask how how closely <laughs> did you map out the plan for the arcing story? Up. So, um, basically, when, when I first sat down with the idea, I kind of wrote like a like a full page, two pages maybe, of, of kind of the the overall gist of the story. Um, and then what I do with every story arc is I'll I'll break that down and do the same thing. So I'll write a page of, of what's going to happen in the story arc. And then within that story arc, I'll write a page of what's going to happen in each issue. So we're kind of going from like um, like the macro to the micro. Um, and I'll just kind of get the beats. So basically I'll have to flip the full kind of over arc and the beats of everything that's going to happen. And then this beat will be a story arc. So then I'll break that story arc down into different beats and then i'll kind of work out what like how many of them are going to fit in an issue so then i'll work out the beats for an issue and then i'll kind of write it out just kind of briefly kind of get all the ideas down then start kind of scripting it and filling in all the blanks basically so you don't uh, because a lot of the writers um that we've talked to they they do they basically let the characters sort of write the story for them if you get what i mean you're very much a case of you have a planned sort of view you have a, a roadmap effectively and how how things will progress instead of kind of going this character's here we'll just see how he goes yeah i don't um yeah I, i'm the complete opposite of that like everything is kind of planned and i think um a lot of other people in comics seem to write issue to issue so you know they'll write the issue they'll be like, oh, that's cool we'll do it and then they'll start thinking about the next one um whereas i write all the scripts for a story arc at once Um, and then I'll pass them to the artist and he kind of just works through them that way because the way I kind of look at writing it is it's like time's not chronological when I'm creating the thing. Mm. Time's chronological when you're reading it, but 
for me, I can take a, st- take a step back. So that way I will never kind of paint myself into a corner and be trapped. Um, and if I'm doing things in like the third issue in an arc and, and it kind of ties into what's happened in the beginning, I can still go back to the beginning and tweak it to make, you know, the symbolism better or, or get some symmetry in there or, or just kind of just balance stuff out. Um, and make sure it's kind of the best it can be before we start drawing it. Um, so that's the kind of way I look at it. Um, I don't think many other people do it that way. Um, it's probably like a, like a mega control freak way to do things, but I find it works. Um, because I also don't write the scripts chronologically at all. Um, when I've got all my beats worked out, I'll put them into a spreadsheet and then I'll look at the spreadsheet and I'll think which page appeals to me most to write. Um, which is going to be the easiest basically. And then I'll write the easiest page that I can kind of, I know what's going to happen on it. I know what's going to get said. I can, I can kind of see what's going to happen in my head. I'll write that. And then I'll choose the next easiest page. And it might not necessarily be the page after that one. It, it might be in a different issue. It might be the first page of the first issue. It might be the last page of the last issue. But as I work through it, I, I do the easiest ones and I, I kind of pick the cherries. And as I do that, the ones that I'm less sure about will come more into focus and become easier to write um and that way i don't really have to deal with like writer's block i'm not i'm not sat there thinking i have to do this next page mm. and i'm banging my head against the desk and i have to go for a walk or i don't have to do any of that i'll just find the next thing that's easiest to write and i'll just write that so you don't find that you get writer's block then because a lot of uh, a lot of the writers you, you get a mixture you get some of them who say they do uh a lot of them say no they don't like yourself what about yourself? Do you work? I get writers lazy. <laughs> I'll, uh, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll go for weeks without writing anything. And then I'll do like 48 hours on a keyboard without doing anything else. Um, like really a, like an obsessive psychopath. Um, we're just with like post-it notes everywhere. Like, you know, like, like a murderer's kind of wall. <laughs> um, Straight yeah, going I, from I, all I, of them. I, I don't tend to sit there going, I'm stuck on this bit or, or I, you know, I don't worry about that. I'll just be like, I'm too lazy. I don't want to write. I hate writing. Writing's the worst. And then just I'll I'll slot in and be like, right, we're going to get this done. 48 hours later, I haven't left the keyboard. Like everyone is worried about me. And then it's like, I've got this script. Brilliant. How what what level of detail do you go into like you know, the script in terms of like guidelines for the artists? I mean, I know artists like Alan Moore, they get like you know, literally pages of information for just a panel. But yeah. others just go, it's a room. I'm I'm pretty bad for that, I think. Um I, I probably not not like Alan Moore level, but I'll certainly um you know, they say a page of script shouldn't be shouldn't take up more than one page. I I'll I'll go to like two pages or something like that. Um I think when when you've worked with an artist kind of as long as we've been working together, um it, it becomes a bit easier because Luke is very much on the same page as me. We have the kind of same points of reference. I think we like the same kind of aesthetics, the same kind of films, same kind of comics. So whereas I might have been more more detailed at the beginning, now I kind of, I figure if I'm thinking of something, I think he'll be thinking along the same lines anyway. Um, So sometimes when I think stuff's important, I'll write more. If it's less important, um, I'll write less because you know he's a great artist he knows what he's doing and obviously 
you know, he knows that this is just a guideline. Like he'll add a panel in or he'll take a panel out because he knows what he's doing. He, he's, he's really good at what he does. Um, but the way I see it is my job as a writer is to make sure that the artist can just draw. So I try to be as detailed. I'll, I'll talk about how many panel, you know, what size panels should be. Um, sometimes it'll be more detailed. Sometimes it'll be less detailed. Sometimes I'll literally just be like, right, this is going to be the largest panel. This is going to be the smallest panel. These are medium-sized panels. Sometimes I'll say, oh, why don't we do four panels the full width of the page, each of them equally spaced? Um, because I'm trying to kind of take away the ambiguity for him so he can just draw rather than thinking about what he needs to draw. Um, but, yeah, it really does vary. Sometimes it'll be more detailed. Sometimes it'll be less detailed. Sometimes... The worst, I hate writing fight scenes, honestly. Like, the last pages to get written in any of my scripts are, like, like action or fight scenes. I'll, <laughs> I'll just write a fight scene, and then I'll, I'll skip it. I'll come back mm. to it later. And that's what I'll, that, that is probably what will give me the most trouble, is the kind of, unless it's, like, a, an action set piece, just kind of generic fight scenes, I, it, I find them really hard. The thing is, they can be quite, you know, especially in like books and things uh fights fight scenes can be quite divisive in that you know i've read some books and the the books are really good but the fight scenes are just boring as hell there you know you've got to put a lot of nuance and um and depth in the fight scenes to sort of kind of ingrate and sort of kind of you know get people to sort of kind of buy into it and, you know you'll find that like you know george r, r. martin uh he ignores a lot of of a lot of fighting and stuff simply because I don't think uh, he likes it because you'll, yeah. you'll find he just literally you know in, in the Game of Thrones books you know you'll have lots of things about describing you know a, a piece of food or a building or a person or you know a house or something like that but when it comes to a war it's just like and it's over and they died and that's it yeah. and they sort of kind of ultimately like the fight itself is like the least important part it, it's the conflict yeah why they're fighting is what's interesting um so so no matter what's happening i always want like even fight scenes to be telling part of the story like like what are we saying about the characters by the way that this is happening or what they're doing like what is the you know the scenario that how can we kind of build this into it so it's not just two guys punching each other because that is boring um you want you want to tell about about your characters through that somehow and that is you know quite a challenging thing to do is um what's the difference between writing for a a graphic novel or like comic book than sort of maybe writing a novel Oof, i've never written a novel so i i couldn't tell you do you, um, do you would you say obviously ugh, when you when you write one of your books is it a case of you would write a um oh say how because obviously you have limited space on a page for certain things so you can't go into lots of detail like whereas if it's a novel you literally can have loads of detail to sort of describe things um do you find that it's quite restrictive and you're you're trying to get things across does that make it harder for you because you want to sort of show what's going on or is that because that's what the that's what the pictures are there for? Effectively, that's what the art's there for to sort of kind of fill in the gaps. Yeah, I, I would say for me, I, I find it actually the other way around. So writing writing a comic would be easier because um, when I'm writing a script, it, it's very like um, utilitarian. Um, 
all I have to worry about is the details and getting them across to the artist to, you know, express that. Um, if I was writing a book, I'd be so worried about my writing style. Mm. Um, you know, keeping that consistent, um, making the prose interesting to read as well as the story. In a way, I, I just have to concentrate on the story and the dialogue. I don't have to worry about how the writing itself comes across because the only person who's seeing the writing is Luke um, and well, and Mika when he does the letters. Um, and I can only imagine like the editing process of going through you know, a 600-page novel and, and making sure all that lines up, that's absolutely terrifying to me. So how do you go about then? So you've got a... If, if you want to describe a scene, so obviously the artist has to go by your steer. Uh, so um, your, your character's in a tent and then do you have to describe what's in that tent or do you just sort of kind of let them... You go, he's in a tent. It's vaguely like this. Go, you do the, you do your thing. It, it would depend what was important. Um, if, any, if any items were going to be used later or picked up or say, you know, they're going to knock over a lantern that's going to set the tent on fire, I'd make sure all that was set up mm-hmm. um, to make sure that he doesn't start drawing. And then two pages later, he's like, shit, it's knocked over a lantern. And he's going to go back and, and kind of work that into it. Um, so so I, I would probably des- describe it kind of... Um, you know fairly fairly detailed but but i wouldn't be stu- be stupid about it i wouldn't get like into the minute details of there are you know 12 pegs holding the tent in <laughs> it's not going to matter yeah um but, you know i might mention the color of the tent um but then luke often has ideas about color because he likes to do kind of thematic stuff um so i think he he, he probably makes a lot of the, the kind of color choices himself how how does it work? Do you ever have any like you'll 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 send him something across and he'll draw it? Is there any times where you've kind of gone, eh, it doesn't really fit in with what I kind of want to go with, or are you happy enough with what he sends you? We, we it is like a, a collaboration, so um, I I do pretty much completely trust the way he wants to do stuff, and I want it to be be fun for him basically, and for him to um kind of be proud of what he's working on and be excited about it as well. So there's, there's pretty much the freedom to do anything. Um, if, if something's kind of, we, we very rarely kind of go over things. I think there was a couple of times when I was like, um, a couple of characters um, are, uh, there was, there was a, in Joseph Merrick's kind of, kind of freak show at the time, there was a couple called Roper's Midgets who were um, kind of, little people um who were kind of they were kind of tough and they they did in real life kind of stick up for him um you know when when people were being awful and uh a couple of times they they looked kind of out of portion and i was like oh could, could we kind of sh- shrink them a little bit and kind of make it look a bit better and we did that um but mostly uh yeah he, he gives me pages in my inbox and i'm like this just looks brilliant it's I couldn't imagine it being any better than this. Mm. It's just, it just really captured it. Um, and yeah, I'm happy for him to experiment and, and get, you know, try and, and grow as an artist rather than trying to do the same thing over and over again. Is there... Do you hide any Easter egg? Sorry. No, no, you work well. Uh, yeah. 
Okay, so uh, in a lot of comics, especially things like Marvel and DC, and they tend to hide little things about their other comic characters in different panels from a different comic book. Did that make sense? I hope it did. Yeah, I know what you mean. Is, is there something specific belonging to you or to Luke or to anyone involved that you like to put into your comics, like a treat for your readers or for yourselves? Why not? We, we've kind of tried to, we've put a few things in that kind of, um, kind of point towards things that are going to happen in the future because I really like um, the idea that if people have been paying attention they'll kind of have more of an idea what's going to happen so when something happens in a later issue it doesn't seem like it's come out of nowhere like even if you haven't noticed it you can go back to earlier ones and see where the seed's been planted for that um, like an example of this would be um, we, we've kind of done some I don't know, subtle hints or, or maybe less so subtle hints um, that we're going to be doing a kind of a, a, like a, a Bram Stoker's Dracula thing, which is going to come in starting from the next issue. And if people have really been paying attention, um, you know, I think the beginning of that is kind of mentioned in like issue two. So that's kind of really far back. So it, it's jumping, you know, like almost 10 issues forward. We've kind of been had the seeds of that planted. Um and I think there's been all the we put like random bits of like occult stuff and um, you know random historical just little bits throughout um, for people who are paying attention. Um, the Baker Street Irregulars from Sherlock Holmes, handily mm-hmm. mentioned, obviously because um, Arthur Conan Doyle is kind of in in the story. Um, just more things like that rather than than of other comics. Ah, okay. Yeah. That sounds good. Um, is there, are there any, once you've done this run, unless obviously you're, it's going to be a long run, like you said, is there anything you would sort of, you've thought about you would you would move on to? Would it be in the same vein? Would you do something completely different? Um. So, yeah, there's, there's, there's some other stuff. So we did the, um, we did a, a spin-off called Treves, A Restless Night, which is kind of a... 48 odd page I, I call it a graphic novella because it it's got a you know it's got a spine it's not like a single issue comic book but it's not really thick enough to be like a graphic novel and it's just kind of a self-contained story that's based on um frederick treves one of the characters from the main comic the doctor who looked after the elephant man it's based on his journals traveling through India. so obviously like the main series that starts off historical and, and based on his actual journeys and his travels and, and then it kind of it turns into a full-blown horror story that one it's basically like a like a hp lovecraft kind of horror um so i i did like the idea of kind of giving the support and cast each of them like their own kind of mini story um and also i've written another series which is kind of a mini series spin-off um in that um trees of restless night that we were just talking about a lantern ends up in space um, so I have written <laughs> a mini series about that Latin's adventures, um, which is kind of like a bit more kind of kind of Lovecraftian, but also kind of sci-fi. So a bit like a HG Wells kind of Victorian science fiction vibe to yeah. it. Um, so I would really love to do that one. I think that's that's a four issue series that I've written and completely edited. So that's just sat there waiting for some time, basically. Um, but yeah, I, I'm really actually quite excited about that one. 
<laughs> and do you think that I don't know as your support grows and as your the number of fans fans grows okay um do you think that you will ever turn this into I don't know something like a TV series or a movie or a web series or something of, of that sort I, I I don't think I'd be able to because I don't have like anyone anywhere near the resources and I can't really imagine having them um and it's always it's <laughs> well yeah it's always primarily been the, the idea of a comic book I would genuinely I have been dabbling with the idea of, of trying to do maybe a short film or something completely different because I would like to try and do different things mm. uh, I just really like making stuff so um I like comics I set out to make some comics I made some comics um me and a, co- a couple of friends have talked about trying to do like a short film or something but it hasn't gone much further than that and obviously lockdown that was kind of towards the start mm. of lockdown I mean, really, I should have been working on the script. I haven't, because, like I said, I hate writing. Um, but, yeah, I do like the idea of trying other things and learning new skills. Like, I think it would be a lot of fun just with a couple of friends to try and make a short film just to see if you could. Um, yes. I, it wouldn't necessarily be anything to do with this, but I, I w- it would probably be in the same kind of vein of the kind of supernatural, not horror, not quite horror kind of mystery okay. thing. So- would you like it to be? Uh, sorry, <laughs> I interrupted you. I'm sorry. No, no, no. Sorry. You, 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 you carry on. Uh, no, I just wanted to know if you would like the, the, this short film idea. Would you like it to be a real life um, thing or animation? You know, like a real. Um, probably real life, but like, who doesn't love like practical effects? Like to mess around and make some kind of practical effects and and make some kind of weird monster puppet or something with like mm. like someone from evil dead like how much fun would that be <laughs> uh we, we had uh D- dana dana fredsty uh who uh she was on she was in evil dead um army of darkness she um she was she was one of the uh the sword masters on, on the show and uh she also played one of the deadites i think i believe that's right deadite captain yeah she was a deadite captain and stuff um the thing is, if you're, you know, if you've got it in you to create your own comic book, self-publish it, and be successful with it, then, you know, a, a short film surely can't be that far of a stretch. All you need is, like, cameras these days, you can do it on your phone. You could do it. If you've got a half-decent, you know, phone and stuff, you could do these things, you know? That's the thing. It's, it's like, the, the time we live in now, it, it's absolutely, like, it's outrageous what you can do. Do you know what I mean? Like, like you say, just the phone in your pocket, it has the potential to do things that like studios couldn't do like 10, 15 yeah. years ago. Um, like when you, when you hear bands now that are recording like records in their bedrooms and it sounds better than going to like a full studio with a full desk and all the gear, like it is insane. And like, I think for a lot of people kind of the sky's the limit what you can do really um, if, if you if you're willing to sit there and, and figure out how to do it like there's so many ways to do basically anything let's see I, I my age like I've I've got 
I've got massive delusions of grandeur when it comes to stuff like when I first, especially when I first started Geek Pride, I was just like, we're going to do this and we're going to do this and we're going to do the, we're going to do videos and we're going to do all this stuff. The problem I have is I'm a massive fucking control freak. And so it's like, I'm like, I have to do all the editing. I have to do all the filming. I have to have all the equipment. I have all this. So I've got all the stuff. I've got about a bazillion cameras. I've got microphones galore. I've got all kinds of crazy shit. But, but because, you know, through bad experiences and by, you know, well, mainly bad experiences. So I feel like I need to do everything myself. I just, like, it never gets done because, you know, it's just like other people don't have time and, you know, it's, you know, I'd love, I, I would love to do, like I wrote, um, we did this thing years and years ago um, for like a giveaway. It was basically a fan fiction sort of competition where you had to decide you had uh, yourself and four um, characters from um, pop culture so they could be fictional um, or from games from books whatever you want and they were your sort of a zombie apocalypse team and you had to sort of have an area where you lived and that was basically where your base was and you had to sort of tell a story about what happened in that area, how you got food, how you survived, how these characters came to be and stuff like this. And I wrote a 14-page sort of, it was only meant to be like a two-page thing, but I went overboard and went 14 pages and I've always wanted to make that into sort of like a dramatized podcast. And at one point in time, I was like, I'm going to get a bunch of guys from Geek Pride and we're all going to do this. We're going to do this, but it's never happened. I've never been. I've never. I've never got it. Just because getting people together, getting everything edited, all that other stuff, and it's like, uh, I'll just buy just board games. Final is, is <laughs> like insanely hard, can't it? And uh, yeah, getting the right people involved in something so everyone's kind of going in the right direction. It, it's it's hard to do, but it, when you pull it off, like it really does pay off. Like it, it sounds like such a such a shitty corporate buzzword. But like synergy really is everything where, yeah, yeah. where everyone's kind of bringing something different and the, the end product becomes more than any any of the individual parts. Um, yeah, I, I, I hate and love the word because it does sound like some proper 80s yuppie office shit. Just don't use blue sky thinking. <laughs> it's all about blue sky thinking. Like I work for us, I work for solicitors, and uh, there's lots of sort of buzzwords like blue sky thinking and going offline and and stuff like that. And you're just like, oh, oh no, please don't use those words. <laughs> I'm lucky. My boss, my boss is a super nerd, and he loves comics and stuff like that. So you know, it, it's all good. So, <laughs> yeah. uh, um, so when you're not doing comic books what do you do what's what's your thing what 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 other sort of kind of do you have any other nerdy pursuits or is that sort of kind of your line it's like it's 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 these days no one's doing much nothing are they like um these days like with lockdown i've kind of pulled out the old xbox 360 and started obsessively like getting all the achievements on games (laughs) it's just it, it I don't know. It's just something to do. Um, yeah, Dark Souls. Ever played Dark Souls? Love Dark Souls. Played that through three times in lockdown. Got all the achievements. Did the same with Dark Souls too. Um, like yeah, just absolute glutton for punishment. Um, to the point of being like quite obsessive about it. Um, and that's about it. What else? There's nothing going on. Reading comics, playing some video games. I used to play in an eighties covers band. Oh, in a way, what what band was it? 
uh, we called Chill Collins. Ah, right. right. Played like uh, Phil Collins and um, Wham and uh, Wham Fallen Oats. Um, and that was a lot of fun. Just kind of getting paid to hang out with my friends, have a laugh, play play some tunes. Um, obviously, that's not happening <laughs> for a while. Um, but yeah, comics, video games, music. Really into music, like we talked before. Really love kind of punk rock, hardcore, that kind of thing. Going to festivals with my mates. Um, but yeah, just I'm, I'm, I think my fate, my, my honestly, my favorite hobby is making stuff. Um, I don't know, like kind of the video games has been a way to kind of tear my brain off and 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 kind of relax because otherwise I'll just kind of stare at a screen and work on a script and then try to go to sleep and I'm still thinking about a script because I want to finish it or want to do the next part um so kind of something that i can have to actively be engaged in um without the temptation to check my phone or or check a message or, or go on twitter is kind of nice really um yeah but like yeah just going through old school xbox 360 games oh man i i, I couldn't deal with with the dark souls man even though like i played the board game which was fucking just as bad and the um you know, the game itself i was just like yeah i I, this is yeah i i just couldn't deal with it <laughs> i had it i played it i got killed many times i went fuck this game i'm not playing this anymore yeah this is why i, I play farmville. i said this is why i play farmville nobody dies because <laughs> <laughs> well, no mom because like I, i'm like i have too many hobbies my 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 sort of slight um what's the word for it? um it's an anxiety, I guess. I have an anxiety simply because I'm into everything. Like, I, I literally dabble in everything. And if there's something I don't do, I try it. And then it's a thing I do. And so I pl- music's a thing. M- music was a massive thing for me. Gaming's a massive thing for me. Model making's a massive thing for me. Uh, poetry, history, um, you know, videography, podcasts, websites. Um, I try to do pretty much everything. And because I do everything, I feel at everything because I don't sort of have enough time to sort of put enough into, whereas you maybe sort of, you've got your comic books, you've got your music, and, you, you know, the computer games are like a, a sideshow, effectively, aren't they? Sort of something to keep you keep you busy. Whereas me, yeah. everything is all the time, and then I can't just focus my mind on something. And because I can't get one thing done, I stress about all the other things and stuff. <laughs> it's just like yeah, my mind's I, just constantly I going. Bam, 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 bam. I'm very actually quite similar, um, but I, I I know I'm I can be quite obsessive about things, so I try and, and focus on stuff. Yeah. And I got really into writing lists, so lists of things that I want to do and want to achieve, or even down to I would I will write lists of what films I want to watch, what TV shows I want to watch, what books I want to read, because. Otherwise, I'll find myself watching things that I don't actually want to watch or, or because they're there or reading something because it's there. Um, and so I, I try to keep like a strong focus on what I actively am interested in. Um, and I find that helps a lot. Um, but yeah, so yeah, I, I will list out everything just to kind of stay on focus because I know if I get involved, I, like I will get enthusiastic about everything or anything <laughs> it's overwhelming doesn't it and you don't know what to do you don't, you're, you're procrastinating you're procrastinating um, yeah we um we, we we bought our first house and it was a complete uh complete wreck 
Um, so the last few years on this has been completely refurbishing a house by myself, literally, you know, taking all the windows apart, putting them back together, um, pulling the floors up, like new walls, like ev- like everything. It was it was disgusting. Um, the windows were smashed. It was like a proper a proper wreck of a house. Um, but obviously, uh, you know, it meant we could have a house. Um, so it started me living in one room. Um, and get again that into a livable state and, and sleep on a futon and then you know work on the next room and then work on the next room and i it's kind of um it's been a bit weird that we kind of just got the last room finished yeah and now i, I i'm like oh there's not a room i have to go in in sand or like fill <laughs> um so so that's quite strange to uh to actually not have that to do now um obviously there's still lots of like little bits here and there to do but uh no no like just walking into a you know a, a barren floorboards walls falling apart ceiling fell down kind of room which, which it's kind of nice because you know you just, you just got to go in and do one thing um but yeah so that's but that's been strange not having that to do as well <laughs> that's the one thing man i i have zero interest in when it comes to diy like my we're buying a house up the road and my missus is uh, going, getting all excited about how she wants to rip up. See, it's it, I I bought this house um, because it's pretty much refurbished all within, bar a bit of sort of guttering that needs to be done. I'm going to get a builder to do and some some bits and pieces. I'm just like I don't have to do anything in this house. It's pretty much done. Where she's like talking about ripping up, ripping up sort of like carpets and putting in wooden floors and putting in all these crazy things on the walls and stuff. And I'm just like sitting there going, no, 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 no. I will. I'll have to because she's told that you know because it's no. Basically, I unfortunately I I I've dug myself my own grave because because I'm buying the house. It's my house. I'm buying it. Um, but I've said to her, I said, look, I don't care about the rest of the house all i want is my man cave and a place for my books and that's it and i don't you can do whatever you want with the rest of the house and she's went right okay <laughs> and I, i'm just sitting there kind of going oh shit i should have put a few more sort of rookie mistake a few more stipulations in that because i'm literally got i'm gonna have my man cave which in you know Bear in mind, I'm buying the house. It's my house, but it's just like you know, it's you know, I've said I'll have the man cave and I have a room upstairs, and you know, even the room upstairs was just for my books. But she's kind of gone right, so I've got the main room, the spare room downstairs, the kitchen, all this other stuff, and she's like going on, oh, we're going to do this, and we're going to do this, and we're going to do this, and we're I'm going to spend all my time painting this and ripping this up, and I'm like, oh no, what have I done? (laughs) What have I done? I just I want don't my... know, but you deserve whatever punishment you get. Yeah, well, I, it's like I just want my man cave back. I used to have a beautiful in my old house. I used to have a beautiful, beautiful man cave that I got made. It was an old garage. It was converted. I got my gaming table in there. I had my computer in there. I had my millions of Lord of the Rings figures on display. It was literally perfect. It was like everything I ever wanted in in a man cave. It had a it had a key entry onto the door, so you literally had to press keys to get into the into the room and stuff. That's how awesome it was. And all I want is that again. I just want that one man space that I've got to sort of just sit there and go, "This is." my stuff this is my accumulation of 30 odd years of sort of life and th- this is all i want and, I, and yeah, then i'll be happy that's that's it i just don't want, <laughs> i don't want boxes everywhere i want my stuff i've got some amazing cool stuff to display i want to see it and i want people to see it you know hmm. 
Uh, I know it's just the, the the life of nerd, and I and my I I'm just really bad with collectibles. What do you buy? Do you have collect? Do you do collectibles at all? I I try. I I am like so tight with my money; it's unreal, man. I I I I I am like I try not to buy anything, um, mainly because I'm broke, and two because I'm an indie comic creator. So I I pay you know the artist the letter and then you know we run the kickstarter so kind of what i try to do now is kind of like accumulate some money and yeah. i was like well, I, I could get an artist to put a pitch together for a new kickstarter page we could, we could launch a new book so um you're sensible then basically you're you're a sensible person unlike I, me who's not a sensible person <laughs> yeah. far beyond sensible to, to being unreasonable but, <laughs> but yeah that's the way it is um Luckily, uh, you know, my girlfriend buys me lots of comics for like Christmas and my birthday. So I've <laughs> books, stack comics to read. Um, I'm kind of, yeah, obviously we've been doing the house. So that's been a big thing for a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, kind of, I, I really just kind of want to concentrate on on like making stuff myself rather than kind of getting all the stuff in because I get quite, quite anxious about that as well. Um, but yeah. So, so kind of at the minute, I'm kind of thinking about, you know, what can I do next? Like what project can I kind of launch um, and, what, and what can we do? So that's kind of what I would be working towards. See that, I, I wish it was like that. I just sort of, you know, you've got sort of discipline. You've got, you've got a sort of like, you've got a goal. I don't write lists of everything like a crazy person. Yeah, well, like, that's... Lists lists. the thing is I've got lists. My problem is my list consists of all kinds of crazy stuff. So Geek Pride being, you know, I, I, I've i cut down. Like, I remember when we first started, we tried to be this overarching everything website. And it was getting to the point where I'd get home from work and I'd, you know, and I'd be straight on to Geek Pride and I'd be editing stuff. I'd be writing articles. I'd be trying to get people to write articles. I'd be trying to get people on board, blah, blah, blah. blah. And it was taken up in a full day. Yeah. of literally just constantly doing stuff and it got to the point where i had to sort of basically just stop and i was just like i can't i can't carry on like this it's, it's, it's way 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 too hard so i basically do what i can but it's just like even the list if i wanted to list things out it's just like i want to do this 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 and i want to do this and it doesn't work for me and it's just like i'm just chaos my my, my mind is chaos i wish i had a disciplined mind like you did you do uh, I just don't think I've got it in me. It's just, it's a clusterfuck, basically. Get your, list. Get your list, have a look at it, have it on post-it notes. Right. Work out which, which is the most important to you and start prioritizing them and start building your lists up that way and just start chipping away. You can get, you'll get it all done. Do you know what, I'm, you know what I'll do is then I'll, uh, in, my new, in my new house, I'll get myself a board and, and I'll do oh, that. Yeah. A cork board yeah. with post-it notes of things to do on yeah I'll do, all right I'll, I'll take your advice i'll have my new house i'll take it as a new start and i'll start prioritizing things and see how it goes and then we'll we'll, we'll come back to you we'll have another meeting <laughs> we'll see and then we'll just say you know yeah that worked or what have you done to me <laughs> oh, you, you won't turn back I <laughs> uh, um okay um i did have something else i was going to say but I cannot remember what it was now. Uh, so while Matt's 
Yeah. <laughs> I will have to say goodbye because it's uh, uh, 12.30 oh. uh, in the morning. <laughs> so I I will be out. Uh, thank you so much for chatting with us. I really love uh, talking to you. I, I saw your Twitter before and I was like, mm, I don't know, I don't know. But uh, seeing you in person actually does create that connection that you mentioned at some point in our chat. So, yeah, I, I really enjoyed this. Oh, thank so you. I will read the, the rest of your comics because it's really uh, it's really good. Thank and you. Uh, good luck. Okay. And much. hopefully we'll see you again. Okay. Definitely. Bye. -bye. Thank you, Bye, Christina. Everyone. Thank you. Good night. Bye. Ah, there we go. There's Christina, our, our Romanian, um, uh, our Romanian um, correspondent. correspondent. That's the word. Yeah, yeah, correspondent. Yeah, she's been here for quite a while. Do you know the, the interesting little factoid? Christina jumped in because she was mistaken for a giveaway. We did a giveaway, and I sent her a message by mistake um, for something uh, when it was meant to be, I think, her friend. And then she went, oh, yeah, this isn't for me, this thing. But I'm really interested in this. And she joined in. I just went, yeah, why don't you just sort of jump in? And that's where we got her from. So, <laughs> she's, yeah, just just you know, random, random people. Do you see yourself, like, when it when it comes to sort of um, your, 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 well, it's not your employees, your partners. Um, did, did you find them by, uh, by searching them out or did they come to you? How did, it, how did that work? So, um... So initially, kind of, I, I wrote the first four scripts and I had them finished um, because I kind of just tried to do everything that I could do by myself first so that I was in a kind of, you know, a good position, basically. Um, and then I kind of hit some kind of uh, internet message boards, kind of. I'm saying kind of a lot. I know that's irritating. Sorry. Um, kind of. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I hit up some um, internet message boards, kind of, writers seeking artists artists seeking writers um and i did have an artist lined up to do it unfortunately they dropped out to do uh, video game design work um uh. and then i kind of put it on the back burner a little bit because i was quite disheartening actually because i thought we were getting going and and then it was kind of a bit of a roadblock and, and we stopped and then i kind of just kept looking at the message boards um and i saw luke post his portfolio in relation to a different ad. And I was still just kind of searching through and looking at what people were posting. And I saw his portfolio and I was like, this guy would be perfect for this comment. So I sent him a message, um, you know, kind of like a pitch. So I was like, I've got this idea for a comic. This is what it's about. This is the kind of overview. I've got the first four scripts. Would you be interested in um, reading them? Would you be interested in drawing the comic? And, uh, he was like piqued his interest he checked out he was into it um so that's how i kind of met luke and we started off doing this we did have a different letterer on the uh first few issues um he kind of stopped doing comics um and uh, i was looking for another letterer and nika had a really good reputation at this point i met other creators and kind of had a bit of a network um so i reached out to him and was like are you free uh, to do some lettering? Are you interested in doing this book? And he was like, yeah, sure. And he's been great. Um, really good to work with, really fast, really professional. Um, and and it's kind of just a really, really solid team now, I think. Um, like you say, it's not it's not employees. It's not, it's it's, it's partners. It, it, it's more like more like a band where 
there's just different individuals kind of working on the same project to get to the same end result um and, and yeah um it, it just comes out really good um maybe if if we did get bigger and we got more kind of we, we brought in bigger numbers of money on kickstarter or we got bigger budgets um you know potentially we, we might bring a colorist on board if, if we wanted to something like that just to kind of be able to get through pages faster mm. um obviously when there's only three of us we don't have that that fast turnaround you know mainstream comics are doing monthly issues like we're working around everything else we're doing in our lives we, we can't just be sat there doing an eight hour work day on the comic every day monday to friday as fun as that'd be um so our release schedule is a little bit more sporadic um but yeah, that's just kind of where we're up to, the, the, the three of us kind of moving forward, I think, on this. Is it something you would look to like a full-time sort of, is, is it the aim to have it as a full-time sort of thing? Or is it literally I, just a passion? I don't know whether that, that's the aim. Um, it would be great if if all I had to worry about was just working on this comic. That would be a lot of fun. Um, and I would really enjoy doing that. I think the aim is is just to kind of make the best book that we can make. Um, ultimately, the goal was to sell and make one issue of a comic because I, I had a bucket list, and one of the items on my bucket list I decided was to make a comic. So we we created the first issue before we launched, and, and I kind of funded that out of pocket because my goal was make a comic book and then i assumed the kickstarter would fail and i could go well i tried <laughs> i want to make a comic book i made a comic book i can cross that off and you know move on with whatever but it succeeded so now we kind of just continuing to make it so the goal now is i would love to get to the end of you know the overarch that we talked about mm. um, and, and just make a really solid book I, I would love for people to look back like in the future and just be like that is you know a really solid independent comic book series and they kind of just did it themselves they didn't you know ask for any favors didn't have any publishers they didn't have anyone big pushing them but they, they did this kind of unbelievable run um and and that's kind of the goal i guess i suppose it's for, it's something for you and your your, your it's your, it's your legacy isn't it it's something you can sort of it's not about bragging but it's something you can feel like it's an achievement you know, you know, if you ever had kids and stuff, you can go. You know, you would go. Well, um, I, this is something I created. With these these hands right here. This this is something that I created. Yeah, ultimately, like this is the comic that I would want to read. Yeah. Um, like if it didn't exist, uh, and I walked into into a shop, uh, and this was the comic there, I I would be like, this sounds like like my shit. Like I want to get. In, involved in this and i'd read it and i would think this is cool like i love it um and i do i do genuinely when the new books come back from the printers i'll, I'll make a coffee and you know i'll get cozy and i'll put a little lamp on and i'll sit there and, and i'll read the whole series and start and i'll be like <laughs> yeah. it's like well it's like me listening to my own music oh yeah, yeah fuck exactly. it. that's good it's totally good <laughs> it's a um that you obviously you kind of you you know what's happening and um you know you, you're not you're not enjoy, you can never really enjoy it in the same way as someone else yeah um but i i i do i am super proud of what we've done and i do sit there and i, I hope it's not just kind of like ego and big-headedness when i when i sit there and i think this is good like we remade this and it genuinely is good because i am so overly critical about 
everything and I think I am that critically I apply that to my own work as well so when I'm confident that it's good I, I do genuinely hope that that's the case um because I do sit there and I'll work on it and and if the script's shit I'll think this is shit and then I'll just work on it until it's not shit and then it's good um but yeah like that is kind of I make it because it's the comic that I want to see and I think a lot of creators if not most, I think that that is what they are aiming for or should be aiming for. I think when you, when you kind of lose that is when stuff starts to fall apart a little bit. Mm, yeah. I've, I've always wanted to make my own board game, like forever, like from being a child to sort of writing rules down for random things to sort of always wanted to make my own board game. And I've got this idea for like a 4D type, you know, multi-layered sort of uh, strategy slash tactical war game. And one of these days I'm going to do it. It's not going to make any money because it's going to be so convoluted and huge and things. But I just want to do it because exactly. I've said I've just done it. The goal is not to make the, like the, the, the number one board game in the world or the best selling board game in the world. It's like the goal is just to make the board game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, like you see on Kickstarter, like people are mad for board games on Kickstarter. They do huge numbers. Like if you just sit there and you just work on it, and, and obviously you're a big fan of board games, you play a lot of them. You you know, there's no one who knows better how to do it than that kind of person. So if you just keep chipping away at it, like there's no reason why you shouldn't be able to do it. Yeah, I, the thing is, my taste in board games is a lot. A lot of people like fast-paced games, things that don't like me. I'm like my brother and stuff. We're like we're born in like strategic war games and stuff that last like 18 hours plus days. You know, things where they go on, and people aren't into that sort of thing anymore. So all I want is one day to make this game. There's going to be enough, isn't there? You only need like. Well, to, to make a comic, you only really need about a hundred people who are into it. Like to make a board game, it's probably a bit more expensive. But you, what you need, like six hundred people, like out of the whole planet, there's going to be six hundred people yeah. into it. But again, it's just so I have it, and something's like this is something I made, and this is like this is you know I know I've got my website and my, my band, but the board game thing has been something I've been banging on about for years, and it's just like I I have like I have like. Um, like history behind it and and like factions what the factions are going to be and i've got sort of all kinds of things for it and i'm just like and i've even got ideas of how things could work and there are certain board games that as time gone on i've sort of plucked away at certain bits i wanted but i'm just like i could do this one of these days i could do this even if i get just a a a prototype copy that i've made and i can go there you go i've made my own board game that's that's exactly how i thought that with this exactly the same Right, okay, I'm inspired now. Do it. <laughs> so it's post-it notes, post-it notes and my own board game. So when next time we talk, we'll be we'll be there. <laughs> Break everything down into small bites <laughs> and don't worry about the big picture. Just chip away at the little bits and the big picture will reveal itself. That's the key. Oh, he's a motivational talker as well. Oh, sure. <laughs> I've never felt so inspired. <laughs> Right. Okay. Well, um, on that sort of inspirational note, you can do it if you organize yourself and you just want to do it. Just chip away at it, ladies and gentlemen. You can do it. So yeah, I, I, I might, I might do that and stuff. If Dungeons and Dragons doesn't take up over most of my life, but um, you know, it's just. Um. Anyway. Uh. So yes, we'll we'll, we'll leave it there. Um. Thank you very much. Um. Tom, it's been uh, it's been amazing. Really, really good chat. Really interesting. Um. Mm-hmm. 
and good luck uh with with the run of the comics i really do hope uh you, you great success and future uh rivaling the big ones later on down your life it's not, it's not rivaling, it's its own thing. We're just, we're over here doing our own thing. Yeah, that's the hardcore way, isn't it? Isn't it? Um, so yeah, thank you very much. Really appreciate that. Uh, thanks for your time. Uh, for me, welcome. sorry? You're very welcome. Yeah. Is there, actually, before we go, actually, before I sort of sign off and stuff, is there any, uh, any websites, Kickstarters, anything people should know about? Yeah, so if you, if you go to our web store, which is www.merrick.co.uk, um, you can kind of see the stuff we've already released. Uh, there's also the free download of issue one. Um, we've got the Kickstarter uh, for Merrick the Sensational Elephant Man Volume 2. Um, I think the best way to find that is maybe just search it on Google or search it in Kickstarter and it'll come up. Um, that is already 250% funded with 26 days to go so that's doing really well nice. obviously all those issues are already finished and we're just reprinting them into a softback so it'll be a really fast turnaround i'm probably confident enough that we are gonna get the um the files to the printers before the campaign's even over <laughs> so by the time money is out of people's accounts i think i will probably have the books already so they will go out the first day um so that's another good thing about comic books and stuff whereas board games will take a year two years sort of to get through comic books there's quite a fast turnaround well it depends well when we do the single issues we'll generally just have about you know six pages of art um and then we'll use the funding to pay uh luke and mika so it can take a while while they they are doing the art but because this is a reprint yeah it's all it's all there Uh, so that's one yet basically And yeah, we've done a bit of a giveaway today on Twitter. So um, if you go to my Twitter feed, you'll be able to see it. My Twitter is at Highbrow Trash. Um, we're giving away a copy of our paperback, our first paperback. Um, if you just retweet um, the 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 tweet that I sent out with the um, the Kickstarter link and the uh, the store, and give give me and the rest of the team a follow. And next Sunday, I'll pick a name out of hat, and um, we'll get that book out to someone. Um, I think we might do a couple more of those if you, if you watch Luke's Instagram page and maybe the uh, the, the Merrick Facebook page as well. Um, probably do do a giveaway on each social media platform, I reckon, um, and, and try and kind of get as funded as possible. Brilliant, brilliant. Well, best of luck. Uh, thank you very much again. Really appreciate the chat uh, and the inspirational words to sort of push me forwards. If I ever do make my board game, it'll be because of you, sir. Oh, you credit. <laughs> I will. Yeah, I will. There you go. Um, okay, so ladies and gents, thanks a lot for everybody uh, for watching. Um, for myself, I've been Matt Geary. Um, with me has been Peter Ray Allison. Good night, everyone, and take care of each other. Uh, Christina, who's left. Goodbye, everybody. <laughs> and uh, uh, and Tom Ward. Good night. Night, everybody. Good night. Bye. Bye.